What's up, asymmetry? Hey, hey, been away, been away. This heat has been absolutely monumentally mind-bending in terms of the time it's taken Troy and I to take care of the garden. I apologize for the negligence of the podcast, but we had to take care of the trees. Anyways, Ron Lang, ceramicist extraordinaire, tremendous human being, wonderful artist, uh, called it quits in terms of making bonsai ceramics. And we wanted to celebrate with Ron because this was uh, a, a monumental body of work that Ron and his par- partner, Sharon Edward R- Edwards Russell, has created. Um, and to have the opportunity to just thank Ron for what he's contributed and, and talk about the things that he learned over just a, a phenomenal career um, that can inform sort of young and upcoming artists and just shed light on the continued evolution of our knowledge of this wonderful art form and the people that have contributed to what it is today. Uh, wonderful guy, one of my very good friends in the bonsai realm and and just a wonderful person that I've cherished uh, his influence and his mentorship of over the course of my evolution as a bonsai practitioner. Sit back, relax, and enjoy Ron Ling, everybody. Hello, Ryan. Here we are, Mr. Lang. What's going on? Good. You got your best socks on for me, I see. Uh, let me tell you something. Uh, <laughs> I had to borrow Taft's Minecraft socks to get through uh, a prolonged weekend without a change of clothes. <laughs> Sorry to hear that. Okay, but mm-hmm. they're nice. Don't say after very nice. I, I, I thought you'd like them. I actually wore them in celebration of you doing the podcast. Okay. If you, if you want to know the truth. Yeah. I can't see your video. Do you have video? Oh. Yeah, uh, let me see. Share screen. Host disabled. Should be down below on the bottom of the Zoom. There should be a... Start video. There you go. Start video. Okay. Boom. There he is. Activated? Yes. Okay. Yes. All backlit and everything I see. Yeah, you are a silhouette of a man. Excellent. I look better backlit. That's good. Your uh, your mustache and beard just look dapper as all get out. What are you doing? Uh, I I trimmed them up just for you. Unbelievable. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, it's good to uh, see you, man. Hey, hi, Ryan. It's good to see oh, you, right. too. Yeah. Congratulations. A big, huge congratulations. Uh, we talked about this podcast before actually speaking and you know the 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 uh the notion that um sort of ending a run of incredible and prolific creativity and pursuit of quality in your ceramic career not being a sad thing but being a moment to celebrate and i and i definitely want to congratulate you on just uh, really you and sharon have altered the state of ceramics in the bonsai realm uh forever with your contributions and it's been a it's been truly a pleasure thank you ryan and uh i think just our relationship and um you actually reaching out and getting a few of my earlier pots was just a huge inspiration to light a fire under me. You know, I've, I was happy for a while to just anybody liked my pots, selling it, getting a few pots out there. But then realizing as my own experience with bonsai grew and my own, my eye developed, I guess, for good trees, 
you know, the dream was to have one of my pots under a really good tree. And that's where you brought me, Ryan. So, uh, you know, that's, that's the big, that's the big story for me. Mm. Yeah. It, um, that, that notion, I really, really what ended up happening, I think in, in at least what, you know, sort of our collaborations and what transpired and it, it continues to transpire in North America is, you know, where the container took a subservient position to the tree, I think to a large degree in sort of the understated, uh, aesthetic that is bonsai in Japan, um, <laughs> In, in North America, at least, and I see it in the European ceramicists as well, uh, there is a notion that the ceramic doesn't need to be subservient and can have a little bit more to say and contribute to the aesthetic. And I just, um, that has been a real, I think from the beginning, a, a decade in, you know, that was a real awakening to me that there's more, that there's maybe more conversation to be had between tree and container. My, my thoughts exactly. I think that uh, if you read the early descriptions of what a, what a bonsai container should be, what it should do for a tree, it, it, always, it basically always says it's a passive, uh, supportive role, mm. but a, you know, a passive one, never to um, upstage the tree. Yeah. And um, I understand where that comes from, obviously, but... I also think there's a potential for a real dialogue between the tree and the container that it's shown in. And the container in some ways can be an active voice in possibly even how the tree is, is finalized and stylized to, uh, to work in sympathy with the container rather than always the other way around. So, um, you know, I, I think it's interesting the way I see, uh, uh, some folks, the way they're going with bonsai containers, they're, they're actually, a lot of people are sort of almost eliminating them and mm. substituting a completely natural uh, clump of some kind that fo you know, functions to host the, uh, house the soil and obviously keep the tree alive, but it basically doesn't say container. It just feels like it's been ripped up or lifted up out of the earth. So you have that completely sympathetic, uh, natural image. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I've said this before to you, and I guess it sometimes gets defensive because I make containers, <laughs> made containers, that um, I think the container is the acknowledgement of the, the, the human role in, in the natural appearance, I'm not the natural appearance, but the composition of the tree. It's the human staging of that tree. It says this, this is not a tree in the forest. This is a tree that has been that has been loved and cared for and tweaked, modified and made special. And the container just becomes the the uh, the proof of that. I think in a mm -hmm. way it becomes the stand, the pedestal, if you want to think sculpturally, as a way of presenting the the, the uh, natural. Although mm -hmm. natural is obviously man uh, actually you know, controlled as well. And, and, uh, that's a big, that's a big, that's a big discussion right now is, is, is natural is also, you know, sort of man as a part of that contributes to that, or maybe now in the current world is, is modifying that sense of natural, right? 
Yeah. Are you sort of, is there a vibe out there that I'm kind of picking up on that, you know, bonsai is, we're back to cruelty again and, and ego of man's ego, anti-nature. Are you feeling any of that again? I haven't felt any of that. No, no, I haven't felt any of that necessarily. I think it, I think it was like the, the discussions that I've heard or, or been aware of are more a notion that we are not separate from nature right. and, and and as such do have a greater uh, I think responsibility as a contributing component to the to sort of the direction that things are going that was the way that I interpreted it not right. that I, I think there's a general negativity around mankind and its and and yep. mankind's impact on nature you know climate change deforestation right, right. All, all of that stuff. And, and, and then it seemed like the rebuttal was, well, man is also nature. You know, we're a part of, we're a part of that. We are that we are altering that. Like, and it, that's a hard, that's a hard thing to wrap your mind around, I think, uh, in general, but, but it does apply to bonsai in a way, uh, that I think is very, that I think is very, uh, much in line with what you're saying. And that is, it wouldn't be bonsai without the individual engaging with it. Yeah. And right. So like, so, so, um, I think the ceramic vessel in its traditional form is what makes bonsai Japanese. It's what makes it a bonsai because a bonsai, bonsai, the term is, is, is a, is a cultural term as well, right? It's a Japanese word. It describes the relationship, but there's so much inferred in the word bonsai beyond tree container, right? Right, right. And I think when we've had conversations where I've said, you know, the container is what's keeping it Holy inside fact. of the inside yeah. of this box. We have it on a podcast, actually. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think uh, I think I've I think I'm coming full circle to recognize, you know, it's beautiful to have these gestures where you remove, try to remove as much as you can, man from it, or the man becomes the contextual caretaker to sustain that tree and that containerless environment like it's uh, it's almost like a lesser gesture you know but the but the ceramic and the 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 containerized environment i think al allows there to be a contrast more visibly seen instead yeah. of trying to be so close to nature it, it is showing and illustrating the relationship and the contrast that's my point exactly yeah, yeah. right yeah. right yeah. and and that will always need to be there i think it will always need to be a part of it. If you ha if you remove that from it entirely, I, I think it would be a less powerful presentation. Yeah, and how do you do that? Even I mean, you still have to you still have to care for that tree. You still have to keep it alive. Unless yeah, I mean, you, you can plant it, you on, it in the ground. Yeah, plant it in on on wood, on rock, on uh, you know, uh, for for lack of a better term, you know, moss, and you you can create these environments that you could cult cultivate these in. But I just wonder if you walked into a garden void of containers and you had all these trees growing out of, you know, rock and deadwood and and uh, and and lacking any sort of vessel. Uh, I wonder I wonder how much you'd be able to connect to it. I for me personally, I think I would be lulled into kind of a. Uh, harmonious stupor, if yeah. you will. Yeah, yeah. Do you know I, that's badly phrased, but it would lull me into just sort of like a, a acceptance of a natural object image 
because and the composition well there's still i mean what you do with the with the with slate and with the with the wood and everything like that there's still you're still you're creating a site mm-hmm. for for the tree and site is my favorite word when we talk about uh container beyond just a functional uh a soup bowl you know site becomes site has all the implications of potentially uh being transformed by the by the tree but also the tree transforming the site site sculpture is a great i mean is is the example where where pieces are are created in a specific situation that acknowledges the situation but then the, the situation also changes the nature of of the participation with the with the object in it mm-hmm. so um i mean just away from me i mean jonathan cross for instance i mean i think there is there exquisite sculptures on their own but when you look at the what he does for the pieces he calls containers, he makes them in a way that leaves room for what he knows is going to be a tree there or something that's going to occupy that that space. And he leaves room. He backs away and says, okay, I'm creating this in such and such a way, this kind of a dynamic, this kind of an energy, but it'll be completed with the the addition of the, uh, the tree. Yeah. I think that's the beauty of of getting it right. Mm. Because Jonathan's work can live on its own, but you never notice his sculpture, what he calls his sculpture, they are complete. They're not asking for anything else. You know, oh, they are. Mm. I've never thought about it like that. Yeah. Yeah, I always get so inspired when I talk to you, Ron. And when you start throwing around sight, that's when I, I think it really illuminates a lot more about um what the container can be. And I think this is really where the conversation and the dialogue around the consideration of bonsai as an art form evolved when you when you started opening up about the way that you perceived the ceramic vessel. And it sh- certainly has had an impact on me uh, and made me think a lot about it because I don't know that these, these weren't ever questions that were being considered about bonsai, or at least it wasn't and maybe there's more accessibility to the conversation now with the distribution of uh, of knowledge being so freely shared. But I, I wonder, I wonder in the past, I wonder if, if this was a conversation that was had in, in the early days of, of bonsai in Japan. I wonder how it was conceptualized in China prior to the creation of the vessel. Like, you know, did Penjing exist just on rocks before they created a vessel? Was the vessel... Uh, 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 you know, was it sort of just an assumed necessity? Was it something that was created for a, a functional purpose and then suddenly it changed and evolved and now we had these antique Chinese containers that created this backbone of traditional forms that moved to Japan that became the inspiration for the ceramicists there and have continued to sort of trickle through the 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 world at large as bonsai has expanded. You know, it's like... what. it's so interesting, but it very clearly is what makes it bonsai. Yeah. And, and ceramics can very easily fall into a purely functional reason for existence. And said, you know, I can, I can transport this thing. I can show this thing. It's in a ceramic container and it almost can become thoughtless, 
Uh, it's what it always was, and therefore that's bonsai. But um, I think trying to break that a little bit and trying to find a way that I could do the kinds of things I was doing in my sculpture that, uh, to see if they could apply to nature, to trees, to bonsai, is when I started thinking in terms of, of geometry and, mm. and uh, geology. Well, geology is more of a, a, more of a natural with bonsai. But geometry and architecture, I think, are two things that I don't think, and I, I would love to be proved wrong. It would be wonderful to look back into history and find some architectural display for bonsai. But I think those are the kind of things that draw upon other instincts in man uh, to create space, to create a site for himself mm -hmm. uh, in nature and to live in that site, you know, architecture. But then why can't that also apply to things in nature like the tree? And that's mm -hmm. what just brought Sharon and I in, in that direction, finding, you know, purposely making hard edge forms, severe forms that made, and then, and then try to position it, find someone who would position a tree in them to set up that really interesting contrast, very specifically man-made with nature, you know? Yeah. I wrestle with the idea of like organic architecture and you have these geometric shapes that are maybe in reference to mass or or some sort of, you know, deriving style or, or, or a notion of design from the landscape, but it is still such an alternative to the the, the natural place. You're you're putting organization in an unorganized or or an organically organized world, you know, and it's like um but yet it does resonate because that's the human that's the that, that's almost like the human condition. To be organizing this chaos, to feel a sense of control. I know, I, I, I know you're debating right now, and I know you don't believe what you're saying because I know, I, in the sense that you know, for instance, Frank Lloyd Wright's position with nature and organic organic architecture. I think it's it's man finding a way to place themselves into nature. You know? I just think it's interesting the way that we choose to do it, though. You know, like uh, you started talking about site. I've been going, I've been going into the in, uh, in, into some remote locations and and creating bonsai in these remote locations mm -hmm. uh, to see what happens when you embed yourself in the environment and you're experiencing the actual elements that give rise to these ancient aesthetics and really ruggedly uh, formed trees. And my my notion every time I'm out there is is uh, is I don't want to go back. I don't want to go back to the built environment. Having that kind of intimate experience and really being uh, and embedded, for lack of a better term, I mean, just dropping yourself into a rugged environment and trying to interpret it through the form of the tree, it, 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 it's, a draw, it's a draw and it is, uh, and, and it creates, and this is a strong word, but I'm going to say it, it creates almost a repulsion for the organized built environment because things are so equal and right in that natural environment. I mean, I, I understand there's hierarchies and, 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 you know, systems, there's predators, there's prey and all of that stuff. But, but all of the superficial stuff that we've created via the built environment from, uh, you know, a social hierarchy or 
um, uh, some some notion of somebody belongs and somebody doesn't out in the natural world. It, it doesn't matter. None of that. None of that stupid shit matters. So you were actually bringing trees out and just working on something. So you found a situation. Am I am I in the right track here? Yeah. Yeah. No. Well. So so I've I, I've been taking uh, pieces of material that have reminiscent characteristics of trees from these environments and i've been hiking them into the environments and doing the work there and what do the trees live in while they're well they're, i mean they're in a they're in a pot or a, bo- a box or a box. Yeah, container uh-huh so yeah so you're you obviously have not obviously but i would knowing you you probably have a, a videographer with you yeah and you're documenting that so yeah so are you sitting the I'm just trying to visualize. Uh, are you? Is any of this stuff up up on your site? Have you no. posted any of this? Okay. So. No. No. It's getting. Uh, so we've done five projects, uh, and um, and continuing to do more mm-hmm. because it's become the most important thing that I feel like I'm doing right now. Uh, but um, but we're just getting ready to release the stuff that we're doing. So do you plop the tree down? on the ground you put it on on top of a rock how do you get at the right position to work mm-hmm. on it are you sitting mm-hmm. on a rock are you mm-hmm. i mean i'm trying um are all those uh, conscious we, things well well I, I i learned very quickly that you have to first uh spend time in that space you got to mm-hmm. find the right place that connects right. to the piece of work because there's a material the material is you know of the species or of the region um and then going there and finding that place that gives you the kind of information that you could use to potentially, you know, transpose this experience onto this tree. That's where that's I spend several days looking for that. So we, we go for anywhere between three and six days. Um, and we really just exist. We find the right spot on the scouting day and then we just exist there. We film we capture, we time lapse, we photograph, we uh, stay up through the middle of the night, we get up early in the morning, we see sunrise, we see sunset, and then typically on the last day, I do the piece of work. You do styling. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Does that feel like a completion of it for you? Does the styling, I mean, you've you've absorbed all that information, that aesthetic, and then you bring it to the piece of work, to the tree. I feel like a totally neutral observer. I feel like a totally neutral observer. I mean, uh, there have been projects where the weather has been incredibly unkind while I'm doing the work. I really like that. I really mm-hmm. like that. That That is when it starts to... <laughs> I, did, I did a piece of work in the bristle cones that was like... That was, that was pretty powerful just because it was so uncomfortable and it was a very long piece of work. Huh. It was like four, four or five trees right. to create a, a composition that were stacked on some dead wood and just sort of arranged with found objects so that that they could be put into a composition understood to be styled and yeah it's it, it's been fantastic man it's really it's really been a, a pretty pretty uh profound experience but but it again like you know being out there in in the in embedded in that environment each one i've really struggled to come back from hmm. yeah because I feel like doing bonsai in my workshop, I see where the organization of bonsai comes from. I see the influence because it's like a sketch out in the environment. 
you know, like a disorganization in the styling of this microcosm of a tree, when you put it in reference to the macro, fits in very well. It fits in, it fits in impeccably well if it's informed by the same factors and influences. And then you bring it back to the natural environment, you compare it to the other work that I do at Mirai, and it, and it doesn't make sense anymore. Huh. I like um, it. I think the macro, micro and macro are really critical words. I actually had just jotted them down while you were talking. Uh, I think that's sort of what you're doing. You're, you're putting the, yourself and the tree back into the macro. Uh, and, uh, you know, whether you start calling what you do micro, I don't know, but, uh, is, is there an ethical, uh, is there any ethic, ethical kind of feeling you have when you <laughs> pack up and pull that tree back out and stick it in the back of the car? I mean, <laughs> it's well, the, I are, you know. is there an ethical feeling that you have when you buy a stick of lumber, you know, like, yeah. uh, we, we have chosen to tap into the resources you know sure. they've allowed sure. that that whole discussion yeah, that's um, I understand what you're saying sure yeah and I also feel um, I also feel like uh, a lot of the trees that we have at Mirai now whether you know in the in the time when they were collected weren't collected for any sort of altruistic purpose but I think um, seeing most of those places having burned now there's like a there is a preservation or a conservationism about bonsai that's starting to occur that that i think is interesting so these projects when you know the site you said it yourself site uh, influences And, and what it's come to lead me to believe is how would ron lang's work have been different if your uh studio and the beginning of your bonsai career wasn't in a Frank Lloyd Wright inspired structure, you know, and, or how, how would that have changed if you had lived on the West coast versus live in, living in the, in the Eastern portion of the United States. It's because those sites really did influence you. And what we got from Ron Lang and Sharon Edwards Russell was, was an influence of, of, of your inputs as you were making ceramics. Yes. And, uh, but I, you know, I think both of our influences go further back to before we were doing any bonsai or were really that aware of bonsai when we were, we were teaching and, and, and making our sculpture. I mean, there's a lot of influences that we had uh, that uh, stuck with us. But um, I, I know for a fact when I sort of said to myself, I don't think I want to make what I was calling my sculpture much longer. It was getting a little bit uh, painful in a way. It was getting, uh, it was just getting difficult. I wasn't enjoying it. And this was all happening simultaneously with me getting more and more involved in growing bonsai, making some containers for myself and other people starting to say, hey, I'd like to have some of those containers. And so it became a transition that, I found much more um, rewarding and welcoming in the bonsai world than I did in the art world and the and the uh, the gallery world, for instance. That just became a chore. Mm-hmm. Uh, my sculpture became kind of a chore. But I mean, mm-hmm. I, I, I diverted there. But I think both of us, Sharon and I, both have our aesthetic training in design and 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 sculpture. You know. But wouldn't that 
but wouldn't that continue to evolve? I mean, I have my aesthetic training in traditional bonsai, and I and I I definitely you know have have sought to push outside of that based on the information that I took in of the environments I was visiting in North America after my apprenticeship. And I'm not I'm not I'm not I'm just asking you know did that did your aesthetic training continue to change or did the environment that you existed in maybe based on that training and sort of what you found to be appealing continue yeah, I, to inform. I think, I think discovering discovering the arts and crafts uh, movement, arts and crafts design, arts and crafts furnishings, uh, and then ultimately looking at arts, uh, looking at um, frankly right architecture, absolutely moved us along in our thinking. So, mm -hmm. uh, but that was, you know, that was relatively, I'd say relatively late. I don't know if I knew anything about Frank Lloyd Wright until I was like in undergraduate school. I did start doing some reading about him and appreciating him. Mm -hmm. And then, um, but then to wind up serendipitously in a, in a studio and home that was designed by a real aficionado of him, I think it was a student of a student of his, was just, uh, it was like the culmination. So absolutely, that felt like uh, I wanted to surrender to that and uh, really learn a lot more about it. We were, <clears throat> we were only about two hour drive from falling water. And mm. uh, so that's really part of the, my new education with architecture. Yeah. I think I'm thinking about this a lot and it's so it's I, I always appreciate the conversations we have because you allow me to ask questions and don't get offended. I'm not inferring anything. I really am seeking. Mm -hmm. And you've always been pretty uh, you've always been pretty sympathetic to that. But specifically, you know, with what happened with Mariah at the uh, end of last year and the vandalism and not being able to really um, not being able to live here. Uh, th this week, actually, I've spent almost an entire week here for the first time since, uh, December of last year. Wow. And, um, and the connection that I have to this place, it's felt, uh, it felt, it felt compromised. It felt jeopardized after that experience. And, uh, and there was sort of an air of discomfort or lack of familiarity around Mariah for a long time. And this week spending it here has been really really reinvigorating not in an energizing way but reinvigorating in sort of a settling of my soul way because yeah. i recognize i recognize that um i recognize that you know the relationship i have with with this place uh has informed what's what's been created here and, and i like it and it and it really speaks to me still you know so uh thinking about and talking about site influencing what you produce as a as a creative person but i think more what a human being uh produces under the influence of that uh input you know as a filtration mechanism uh it's been and i think i feel re um i feel a new wave of confidence that this is still the place that i that i should be and need to be after this week but it's been a real dogfight the past nine months well it almost you probably needed to to be away from it and and not be going in every day and seeing the uh seeing the devastation you probably needed space from it 
Yeah. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I don't I didn't know. I mean, I've never experienced anything like that before where where something so significant has been sort sort of just just immediately and instantaneously stripped away. Yeah. That was a that was new. That was very new. Yeah. 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 I had it gave me a tremendous amount of sympathy. I mean, my house is still standing, but uh Taft's Montessori teacher uh all the pipes pipes burst in her home in uh, Austin, Texas. Um and they lost their entire home. You know, our forest fires are claiming people's homes. It's just like, wow, yeah, that sense of place, that site, yeah, is is so significant to everything that we do. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, thanks for sharing that with me. I I, I have to tell you, um, I'm glad that you ended up where you did because whatever whatever it contributed or whatever whatever uh, you know accumulations of education and experience contributed, it sure did make a hell of a ceramic body of work, Ron Lang. <laughs> I appreciate that very much. Um, Are you proud? Like, I mean, uh, when when you step back now, what 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 does it mean to 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 remove yourself from a practice that's been such a pivotal part of your life? Um. Yeah, I'm still I'm still digesting not going into a studio. I've had a studio my whole my whole professional career to go to, um, and I would still have a studio if I had made the decision like I had in Pennsylvania when we moved here to North Carolina. We found a home that we really loved, and it was on a lake, and it was in a long needle pine forest and it's just beautiful place but no room to have a studio so we sought a studio elsewhere so i guess what i'm saying is other than the fact that we um, felt ourselves needing to slow down and 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 spend some time doing other things than just working day in and day out and i mean i was working i was working every day for the last year i'd say i know of course there's days off but um i if if i had set up a situation where i had a studio at home i'd still have a studio at home you know mm-hmm. if it was like we were back in pennsylvania i walked i walked 200 yards and i was in my studio building that that kind of situation i would have gone to my grave having a studio up the hill for myself but this was a, a large building, paying a lot of taxes on it, and uh, and um, and and you know it, it became unwieldy to just hang on to it. So we wanted to simplify our life and get rid of the studio while we still had enough brain cells left to enjoy ourselves. Um, I am very I'm I'm very proud of of what we did. Um, I'm very proud of of thinking back. And looking back on some of the pots that we've made and the beautiful trees that they're, they host, um, that feels wonderful. Um, mm-hmm. um, I, I, um, I made some of my favorite pots in the last two months of working. I found myself sitting at the potter's wheel when I didn't have a commission now. This is not, I'm not making a... Uh, uh, break my ass pot for Ryan Neal now. You know? <laughs> I'm, I'm just sitting at the wheel, you know, and I've got music on and I'm throwing and I'm making what I, you know, I call my non-bonds. I know that's not an accurate term, but I just call my loose expression, expressionistic kind of 
imperfect kinds of rounds and ovals. I just call them non-bond inspired. I was making them, and I think I was making some of the best ones I have ever made. All mm. of a sudden, there, was, there, there wasn't any pressure. And I'm sitting there going, God, you know, I just sat at the wheel for an hour or two hours, and I made 10, 10 pots. I'm thinking, that was easy. And look at them. They're, they're going to be good pots when I get them footed and everything. You know, so I'm scratching my head saying, am I really going to do this? You know, mm-hmm. but, but, you know, I had set the thing in motion, you know, and I had people coming to pick up equipment. And I actually, I forestalled getting my elect, one of my electric, big electric kilns picked up. I had it sold. I said, but you got to let me have it for two more firings. That kind of, a, <laughs> you know, it was, it was weird. But, you know, I also feel really good that um, uh, short of selling, short of selling the building as a pottery studio, that would have been ideal. Someone come in, uh, bought, buy it as a ceramic studio, and then just let this, you know, 75-year-old man come in every now and again and play around a little bit. That was my dream. That didn't happen, but I was able to, uh, to link up with... Uh, with Eli Akins uh, from Waldo Street Pottery. Eli and I have been, been communicating a lot and been close of late. And uh, he has been wonderful. He, um, he's getting my, my big gas kiln. He got two potter's wheels from me. He got a clay mixer from me. He's basically, he's expanded. He's built a new studio for himself in Atlanta across the street from his home. And he's filling that thing up with a bunch of uh, Lang Bonsai <laughs> container equipment, you know. Right. But that's a good feeling. I feel like I've passed it on to someone who I feel strongly about, who's a really talented, uh, I'll still call him a young man, he's getting a little beyond that, but uh, a, you know, a very talented artist. And he's really going to be uh, making great bonsai pots in the mm-hmm. future, you know. So that feels really good too. Nice. Nice. Yeah, isn't that fitting though? You know, the last pots you'd make, you'd be like, God dog, I did I, <laughs> yeah. I did finally get the hang of this thing. <laughs> yeah. Son of a bitch. That's, you know? <laughs> that's exactly what I said to Karen. <laughs> just just got the hang of this. You know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. I I I I when when I when you and I had the conversation that you were gonna be and this has been a conversation that's been happening over the course of several conversations. You know, it's been, sort of I've been, been hint, a, I've been hinting at it, haven't I? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, here's the thing though. You can't I guess you could, you know, there's a notion of like, I'm going to do this for the rest of my life kind of a thing with all practices. That's the romance around it. And, right. and, in, Japan, and in Japan, it's a, it, it's a way of existence, but that's a different hi, culture. Hi, Taft. Ron's saying hi. <laughs> <Kevin's>, <laughs> he says <Kevin's> hello. <laughs> yeah. Oh, nice. You found it. Okay. We got a Timbers game tonight and he's been looking for oh, his Timbers right. hat. Oh, great. Yeah, they're playing the Seattle Sounders, which is the big rivalry in the MLS. So we're going to go very cool. Scream our faces off. Um, but, I, you know, like the Japanese model of this discipline, life dedicated to a singular craft, and they do it until they're dead and all that stuff is awesome. Um, but it's, it's, it's not really how we're made, or at least not how our culture has, uh, has sort of um, yeah, whatever, whatever informs us. Yeah. I aspire to retire from bonsai. I do. I aspire for there to be a day where I do not have to fear 
watering. I don't have to fear uh, 117 degrees. I don't have to fear a snowfall or uh, a a cold event. I cannot imagine what it would be like to live life where I got to be like 117 degrees. I'm going to cruise to the coast and hang out by the ocean today. I can't even imagine that. Yeah. Yeah. See, that's, that's, I really appreciate you saying that because I have this old Catholic guilt, you know, I should die with my, with my potter's wheel underneath me. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, it's like, it's really good to hear you say that as a much younger person than I am. Uh, and a- acknowledging that uh, there are other things in this life, you know? Yeah. And yeah. by the way, is Taft still there? Yeah. Taft is here. Um, tell Taft that when, when you guys get this next order from me, I've secreted away a couple of gifts for him. Oh, wow. In the order. So, Taft. Hey, Taft. Ron wants me to tell you that in the next uh, boxes of pots that we get from Ron, he put a few things in there for you, a few gifts. (laughs) Did you hear that? Yes, I sure did. (laughs) They're a little weird, but I think you're going to like them. He said they're weird. I got headphones on, so he can't hear. They're oh. a little weird. They're a little weird, but he feels confident that you're gonna like them. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Ron. That's very kind of you. Sure. Uh, yeah, I, 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 yeah. Other things in life, I actually think the separation from from Mariah over the past nine months has helped me see that that there is there is a there is a there is a whole do- another reality out there. Right. Uh, and I also do think, or at least I haven't figured out how you can be as, you know, I aspire to be as good as I can possibly be at this. Exactly. Um, every day to the end, right? Every, every day to the end. Yeah. Um, and, and I don't know how you get to do that and, you know, uh, enjoy heading to the coast on a 117 degree day. It's for bonsai. Bonsai is, is the... And I think the surrounding culture around bonsai, it is it is that dedication. It's sacrifice of the self for the craft and the art. Yeah. Uh, and it demands that. And I'm into it. I'm still very much into it. I, I have a lot more in the gas tank. But um, but there's a day. And that's why I said, Ron, I celebrate it, man. <laughs> you, 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 you step away and, and enjoy yourself. absolutely, freaking lutely And I hope to do the same someday. Well, just... Uh... Just announce it nice and loud and watch your inventory disappear. (laughs) (laughs) You're shy on pots is what you're saying. That's good. I don't have anything left. Good for you. What a way way to go out. So, I mean, what happens now? What do you, what, 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 um, with, and I'm assuming, you know, you said you've been basically working every day for the past year. Uh, and, and now going to the studio isn't a thing. What is what is Ron Ling? What do you want to do? What are you? What are your? What are you hoping to do? I mean, I asked my dad this when he retired, and he was like, "Stop asking me those stupid questions. I don't know, so I don't want to put you on the spot or in an odd, odd." I'm not trying to be like, "What's well, next me, for Ron Ling?" But quote, I think you might have quote, some thoughts. Let me quote a very wise person: "Stop asking those stupid questions." <laughs> yeah. Okay. Fair enough. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't want to put you in that. I just thought you might have, to have an idea, you know? Yeah, I, I know. I, I get, believe me, a lot of people are asking me, and I, I, there's a little bit of, and what's nice, there's no pity in your voice. Um, but um, I, I keep my smart ass answer is 
you'll be the first to know as soon as I figure, <laughs> as soon as I figure it out. Um, I'm, I'm still enjoying it. I'm still, I mean, I'm actually working on my trees again, which have had so much neglect. We're doing house projects we put off and, um, and it's so far, everything is, is, is really just feels nice, you know, no, and the pressure is lifted, you know? Uh -huh. mm -hmm. So for now, working on your trees right. again. So, so you didn't back away from bonsai. You just backed well, away no. from making ceramics. Well, no, I'm actually going to bonsai club meetings again, which I always had an excuse not to go to. So right. I'm back, back into Cape Fear Society and, uh, working on, um, I'm hope I'm working on an interesting display that I wanted to do for the um, for the bonsai expo in Nashville, mm. one that you were supposed to be the uh, guest artist for. Uh, I wanted yeah. that too. Never yeah, been there. Yeah. I want to go. Um, the uh, I'm working on a really interesting theme thematic display because Arthur likes the clubs to come up with some kind of a thematic display that. Or cap captures the uh, the feeling of their of their environment, their mm -hmm. surroundings, and we're the Cape Fear Bonsai Society. So um, I won't tell you any more than that. But I'm really I built a third of this display, and then everything fell through. And mm -hmm. uh, so I I will continue and finish that display. Mm -hmm. What uh, what about? What about displaying at the national show? Is that something that motivates you, or is that a little different? It's it's uh, it's out of my league again. I mean, I don't have the trees anymore. I don't have the trees to uh, to do that. You know. Yeah, but that's the but this is the whole thing. I mean, I, I don't want to I don't want to get into a circular conversation. But <laughs> if you can create a strong enough context, you can have the simplest tree have the biggest voice. Right. Yeah. You know. I feel like that's really, I feel like that kind of uh, push in in creating dialogue through bonsai display is what maybe one of the weaker points in the United States with bonsai still. Yeah, and the Japanese developed the, the, the tokonoma setting to really create that dialogue and, and make significant gestures. Um, but the the current sort of exhibition setup isn't really geared towards that, you know, and and we don't have another outlet for that kind of contextual display, which is a shame. Which is a shame. Are you still um, planning on another artisan's cup potential? <sighs> Man, not the right. Yeah, was, not the uh, right well, no, um, I definitely. I know Jonas and. Um, uh, Jonas Dupuis and son of a gun, uh, Eric Schrader down in San Francisco are going to be putting on a big exhibition, national exhibition um, next year. And I'm going to be part of the jury for that. And I look at that and I wish them all the best to do another Artisan's Cup. I, I recognize you have to want something like that so bad that you're willing to push beyond reason in every way or else it's going to fall short of expectation, yeah. at least per my personal expectation. I, I, I honestly, I don't have that kind of durability to do that right now. I, I have taken too many hits and in, in too rapid of a succession. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I don't feel, I feel like there is a lull in bonsai i mean there's a pandemic there's all this crazy right. stuff that's been happening you know so it's like hard to say like bonsai is bonsai is not in its own echo chamber it's being impacted by these conditions um 
There is a lull. There's a lull because human contact has been decreased and the enthusiasm and passion is not being shared. Um, and and I think there is a uh, accumulating necessity that is generating a sense of purpose for me to go through that pain again, but I don't have it all uh, put together yet. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's too, it's um, that and Mariah honestly demands uh a lot, and I and and being distant from it. Not, I mean, I still showed up every day. Like I think when I say distant, you know, it might sound like I I wasn't here or something. I I'm here every day, but there's a big difference between being here every day and those hours after everybody else is gone when you're the only person here and and, and you really get to know a place, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So. So refamiliarizing, reestablishing my connection uh, this past week has been pretty powerful. Pretty It'll powerful. be interesting. I, I'm not going to be there, but it'd be interesting to kind of get the vibe of the uh, the national this year. Yeah, this yeah. Time. I was I was wondering if you were going to come. I was hoping we would see you, but I figured you I, you might not get up there. Yeah. Um, it's just I, and and um, well, I don't want to, you know. The, there's a lot of people that's going back to wearing masks again, you know, and mm-hmm. we school. have to in Portland now yeah. it's mandated in Portland. Yeah. We'll have, we'll, when we go to the soccer game tonight, yeah, be masked. So I just don't, I wonder what the vibe will be up there. I um, sure wish Bill all the best. Uh, it's, yep. I mean, it's a hard thing to do. It seemed, it seemed like four months ago that it was going to be a no problem. Everything's going yep. just fine. And all of a sudden the brakes sort of went on with the vaccinations and everything and mm-hmm. people digging her heels in. And, uh, I don't know. Yep. Yeah. It, it's, uh, it's a, it's and kudos to bill. I mean, what a yeah. legend. Oh, God, God. That guy, that guy, I mean, he's like the bionic man. He's getting put <laughs> back together while he's like planning this show from his hospital bed. It's just like for crying out loud. I mean, oh, that's what I'm saying though. Bill every two years feels so compelled to do this. If you don't want it that bad, you shouldn't even start the process. And for for him, the kind of durability that he shows, I'm just like, yeah, yeah. hats off to you, sir. That's incredible. Pretty pretty amazing. Yeah, it is pretty amazing. Yeah, I've never been to the Carolinas. I was so excited to come to Asheville. I really really wanted to see it, experience it. Um. We'll have to postpone it for another time. Yeah, and um, th- th- that's a, a beautiful place to visit. The, uh, the arboretum there is wonderful, and Arthur really has put his uh, his stamp on it. He's mm-hmm. um, he has he has so many beautiful displays of of trees of mixed variety trees in landscape situations. Really, some nice nice thoughtful stuff, you know. Mm. So. Yeah. He is, um, he is, uh, I think, an underappreciated force yeah. uh, that that is creating and doing innovative stuff. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I, I've I've never met him, at at least to the to the best of my knowledge, um, and uh, and I've never been to the Carolinas, so I got to take care of those two things. It'd be it would be it would be unfortunate to not be aware of that place because I think it I, from everything I've heard, it's quite special. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that whole that whole region of the United States is is I think the next bonsai hotbed. Yeah, I agree. In all honesty, I, it's growing. There's a lot of energy there. It it happens. It happens around the equation. There's a a profound public collection. Um, 
and a lot of enthusiasm and accessibility to bonsai and then you get prof competent professionals yeah. uh finding finding uh, a community and that's kind of what's happening in the southeast right now and it's badass anytime you see that happen it is super uh inspiring and motivating yeah, yeah. that happened in portland uh with you yeah. know with the the con congregation of people here and and nobody's nobody's gone anywhere you know it's just <laughs> the 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 that that new surge of energy that sense of newness that yeah. that yeah. upward trajectory of growth I is agree. is a magnet it's a magnet yeah. to people it's happening down here it really is mm -hmm. so, and you see it you you see it in the clubs and in local people, or how 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 are you aware of that? Where yeah, does it? Our, our, the closest larger club to us is Raleigh, and um, the tri 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 area tri state club. Um, that's a pretty hopping place. Uh, Cape Fear, our our little club, is really rebuilding right now. We're down to a very few members, and 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 just trying to restart our engines again. So that's has a whole set of dynamics to it that's uh it's interesting but challenging you know mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. so i feel like I'm, i can be more involved than i that i have been in a long time in in that and trying to make that happen right so, um, cool yeah. that's very cool yeah i'll be darned and uh f in the move from pennsylvania to the carolinas care of trees became easier harder like what's the uh, what's a lot, a lot easier. Oh my God. I don't have to take trees off of benches in the wintertime. Yeah. I literally can just keep them out. I uh, disposed of some really beautiful, big collected Japanese maples that I had going in Baltimore for 10 years. Some big guys too. I, I, I got rid of them because I didn't think they would do well. But once I found out that I had a very sheltered backyard with these big pines, they would have been just fine here. And I kind of miss, I miss them. But um, I don't know. There's, certain, there's some fungal kind of problems with, uh, I mean, I always did so well with my Chinese elms up in Pennsylvania. And they're suffering down here. I realize mm -hmm. I have to give them a little bit more of a uh, pot underneath them, more soil, and I have to be careful about fungal diseases, diseases mm -hmm. and such. So, interesting. Ah, uh, the constant quest to rid trees of insects and disease. I, <laughs> I've been talking to a guy. Everybody's looking for the holy grail. Yeah. And I've I've been talking to a guy recently, um, who. Uh, who said there are no insects and disease there are just imbalances and uh there are, excuse me there are just deficiencies and toxicities hmm. and uh, and you know you can go to these hardcore extreme sort of perspectives of of bonsai and chemical use and all that stuff i i really would and really do believe there is a methodology out there where we can where we can rid the tree of fungus and pests by focusing on nutrient balancing and uh and biology in the container and this guy is all for it the first the first thing he said when i talked to him because i've obviously been through a lot of different people thinking they have the end-all be-all for bonsai cultivation you know mm -hmm. and i've bought into some of it and i've tried a lot of it uh and i've suffered <laughs> because of it 
yeah. you know, in the name of in the name of knowing, in the name of learning, in the name of building knowledge, it's been absolutely priceless. But uh, definitely, the trees have have bared the brunt of that. But but this guy, the first thing he said is he said, uh, I said, listen, I've had a lot of people think they know how to how to go about this, and it's it's never turned out well. And he said, um, well, who are these people? And I said, there's, you know, uh, consultants, uh, you know, biologists, ag- agronomists. And he said, uh, horticulturalists. And he said, uh, well, if they're abiding by the commonly practiced principles of agronomy, horticulture, and biology, um, then I would ask you, is agriculture getting better? And I said, no. And he said, is, is, is horticulture getting better? And I said, no. Mm-hmm. And he said, well, then why the hell are you listening to them? <laughs> and that was like, he really, he really sprechen sie Deutsch. He, he, he spoke my language, you know, it was just like, ah, this guy is interesting. So anyways, we're, we're, um, you know, once again, we're once again, jumping into the abyss with, a uh, somebody that I think maybe has the right, has the right, um, sort of wind under his wings behind him. He's a really, yeah. really cool guy. Um, and everything that he makes, he makes products and I'm, I'm, until I know they're good, I won't be promoting them, but, um, but, uh, everything is alive. It's alive with biology. It's, it's the containers are constantly growing and, and they're oozing shit because you can't keep this biology under control. But more than that, his backbone of science, uh, is the addition of carbon, which has been a continual discussion outside of bonsai and peter warren has really started uh with a a soil scientist in the uk working on this but the addition of carbon as as the backbone and nobody's ever nobody's ever really tied not carbon like putting it in your containers like adding carbon in strategic ways uh under measured scientific application um so anyways we're, we're we're trying it we'll see how it goes yeah fantastic yeah yeah i i i mean um there, there has to be a better. There has to be a better way. Yeah. yeah. Well, insects. Whole, have a, what's that? I was gonna say insects, insects and fungus have a way of knowing a tree that's compromised. I mean, they that, always go exactly. After, they always go after weak stock, you know. And, mm-hmm. uh, so. Well, this is what he was saying, and and I'm gonna expand on this as I as I learn and understand more. And I, I want a podcast with the guy, but he was saying, listen. You actually have certain things that become toxic in a plant that attract insects. You know, they attract disease. They they become a breeding ground for it. And mm-hmm. and the primary pieces are um are salts, which which we don't really think about all that much, but our fertilizers, uh, our fungicides, our insecticides, our herbicides, um, all of that is is loaded with salt. Uh-huh. And and uh-huh. and yeah, so salts are, you know, I mean, your salts are magnesium, potassium, uh, sodium, and uh, and and your, I believe your chlor, I believe your chlorine, and chlorides, and and those four things are like real problematic when they get in excessive elements, and most of our bonsai containers ha- have that in excessive quantities, yeah, par- particularly potassium, potassium. This guy in the United States. Yeah, he's in the United States. Yeah. yeah. I'll be waiting, waiting to hear more about him. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Hey, like I said, lots of miracle cures have been have been yeah, uh, yeah, tried sure. and tested, and none of them have panned out. So I don't hold my breath anymore. But um, but I like what he's saying, and I and I and I still aspire to find 
a chemical free cultivation of bonsai. I just I just think, you know, but as we've evolved, what's what's ended up happening is our common fertilizer strategies have stopped working. And people <clears throat> and people wonder why. And it's just a core saturation of, of these these pieces. Huh. Yeah. So that's the next journey for me, but I'm still I'm still in the day in, day out. What do you have hobbies, Ron? But beyond ceramics, I mean things that you that you really enjoy doing on a daily? Not on a daily. I mean, I, I I really have always said I want to get back to fishing, and I do have a I do have a boat, and uh, actually took my grandkids out for a uh, for a chartered fishing trip a couple weeks ago. So that was a disaster. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, these are grown adults. But, yeah, uh, it was a horribly hot day, and we drove. We we piloted out about. Uh, five miles off the coast and then this captain just put this little 40 foot boat into a big circle and uh just kept you know and and all the poles are in the you know in pole holders and everything so we went for like a three-hour ride in a big circle um in, in the heat and uh until I finally said, can we stop doing it? I mean, I don't know why it took me three hours. Oh, yeah, we can move, do, try something else. I would thank you, you know, because at, at, at one point, I think it was like at, at, like, like at, at 10 o'clock in that circle, I would throw up. <laughs> <laughs> All the conditions of the boat and the tide and everything, and I would just... I would heave off the side of the boat. So I don't know why. I don't know why it took me three hours to talk him into doing something different. You know, because, <laughs> this isn't working for me. We, we, we caught two little fish and uh, finally pleaded for him to take us back to shore. It wasn't fishing. It was it was a boat ride in a circle for three four hours. You know, that's a so bummer. That's not fishing. You know, so. I, I've never had that work out. I've never, I've never had any sort of like chartered boat experience work out for me either. I, 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 I yeah. And it sounds like a good idea. Yeah, it does. I admit, I'm uh-huh. promising, promising my grandkids to do that. They're both they love fishing, and this just wasn't what we did. It wasn't fishing. I'd be much better in a little lake on the back of my boat, you know, casting and, you know. Casting, you know. Anyway, yeah, and just, just, just chilling. Yeah, exactly. Just I, chilling. I, I want to do a little bit of chilling for a while, Ryan. I hear you. I hear you. But um, well, thank you for uh, for doing this with me. This was very generous of you. Congratulations, Ron. Congratulations. That's all I got to say, man. It's been it's been a great ride, and uh, and I wish you and Sharon all the best. Well, and you. I look I look forward to uh, to seeing your trees now yeah, i look forward to seeing you again sometime at some event we will start to do some traveling again and i'll be going to some shows so good it's not gonna you guys should that. come come explore the pacific northwest i'd love to do that again yeah absolutely. yeah yeah, yeah. So. we'll be waiting for you out here cool very good very cool well all the best to you and sharon ron and uh and uh we'll look forward to the future yeah um uh, thanks ryan appreciate it ron talk to you later